Coming up, there's an avalanche of new openings scheduled throughout the coming year. Plus, we'll look at what museums are doing to pivot. From the Hauntration Network, I'm Philip, and this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. Green Tagged covers the top theme park news from each week. For our haunted attraction-specific programming, check back tomorrow. And remember, to stay on top of everything happening in the haunted attraction industry, sign up for our free weekly newsletter. That goes out on Mondays, and you can subscribe at the link in our show notes or at our website, hauntedattractionnetwork.com. Enjoy the show. From our studios in Los Angeles and Tampa, this is Green Tag Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my co-host, who just got back from a client visit, Scott Swenson. Yay! Back in Tampa. Yay! <laughs> Although it's funny, I was in Indianapolis all week, and uh, I got back, and it's the same temperature here as it was there. No, that's not true. It's um, But it's cold here in Florida, um, in case you haven't been watching all of the national news stories about um, frozen iguanas falling out of trees and that sort of thing. Um <clears throat> But it's chilly here. But I will say, it, there's there was not a wind chill of 18 below like it was up in Indy. So I'm glad to be home. So it's an improvement, and you made it home. I was a little I, bit worried. I was like, oh no, is Green Tag going to get out on time? Ah, yeah, I know the suspense. Know. Well, neither <laughs> rain nor sleet, you know, <laughs> or something happen. Okay, so today, coming up today, we have an avalanche of opening announcements uh, that were kind of have been appearing i think uh this this past several weeks and of course you know we we had to of course start off with universal's announcement of epic universe kind of confirming the opening uh during the latest comcast earning call executives responded to a question about any about openings for epic universe and they said that it was full steam ahead for its grand reveal in summer 2025 nbc universal jeff shell made the announcement insisting construction is going really well we expect the park to open in 25 and certainly for the summer and of course the only confirmed areas we know so far the super nintendo world and we also know that there will be stuff from illumination and dreamworks which could include secret life of pets like could include and probably will because they just did that ride so they already mm -hmm. have it's like just pour it over and have training dragon the other big thing that was kind of couched into this uh, these uh, announcements in the theme park world was that Comcast also talked about its earnings. And while they had a little bit slow of uh, adoption on their internet packages, their theme parks did really well, obviously. <laughs> um, the fourth quarter reported a $1.2 billion increase in revenue during the fourth quarter. And its yearly revenue rose to $5 billion from $2 billion in 2020. And... I know that it's like, oh, that's 2020, but actually that is almost one of the most profitable quarters uh, ever that they have had for the in, during the Halloween quarter, uh, the you know holiday Halloween quarter. So, uh, you know, clearly it is uh, working for them. And the only other kind of tidbit that I think got uh, lost in some of these stories is when asked about if there were things he could have done differently or whatever, uh, the CEO said he would have, he would have, if he know if he had known, you know, the demand would stay so strong, he would have gone back and not paused the work on Epic Universe because it was supposed to open in 2023, right? And then um, now it's 2025 because of the delay. And <laughs> I guess I was like, well, if you had been listening to Green Tag, uh, you would have known to keep building so you could open on time in 2023. But you know, whatever, that's fine. Well, and and to be fair, I was just going to say, I think that's kind of why we're in the avalanche of openings um, right now. <clears throat> because I think that, you know, whether they listen to us or not, you know, the smart ones did, they just kept building. But um, <laughs> whether they listen to us or not, they, um, it, it, what has happened is they they didn't necessarily pause 
everything. I mean, they, they, they took hiatuses based on, on what was, uh, you know, safe and healthy and <clears throat> keeping an eye on the, on the, the prognosis. But once you've committed to spend, you know, you're going to end up building it anyway. So you might as well have it ready when things open. That's part of the reason that, that, uh, you know, as a, as a consultant, I didn't lose much business at all. I had things postponed. I had things extend, but I, I really didn't lose a whole lot of anything because, you know, most organizations in the industry recognized that there was going to be a return. And I don't think anybody anticipated it was going to be this quick. I don't think anybody anticipated it was going to be this strong. I mean, we've, we've reported, you know, record, record attendance, record earnings, everything from, you know, local zoos to international theme parks. And, um, I, I, you know, I, I think that, we're starting to see things now that were either in the works pre-pandemic um, or were things that um, were even ready pre-pandemic but were held and uh, and then, you know, finally polished and, and, and put out there. So I think that's why we're seeing such a, a deluge right now. And I'm really, you know, obviously being in Florida, I'm, I'm thrilled to see that Epic Universe is back on the rails. Um, if you were... If you were paying attention, it's really interesting. If you were paying attention to um, the local um, freelancers here in Florida, um, you already knew this information long before it was officially announced because they brought back um, just mountains of, of creatives um, to bring this back online. And um, so I'm glad it's official. I'm glad we can really talk about it without me feeling guilty um, because, you know, I know some people who are working on it and that's great. Um, so, you know, it's it's another it's another mega theme park. And uh, what I'm curious to see, quite honestly, looking forward, and, and we don't really have any information on this, but let's just kind of keep this in the back of our heads. I'm curious to see how it is going to impact um, the way Disney does business. Because there has been so yeah. much, you know, we've talked about it on this show, and there has been so much on social media about, you know, Disney and price gouging and and charging too much and and making it so that you know not everyone can enjoy Disney like it used to be. And um, <clears throat> so I'm curious to see what some rather significant added competition in Orlando is going to do to their business model. Again, I, I don't know. I have no yeah. data. <clears throat> but I just I just think that's something that we should all kind of keep an eye on and see if it makes any difference. They, it may not, but uh, <clears throat> just yeah, curious. Yeah, I, I think that that's an excellent point about the kind of the reaction to Disney because they are aware of each other. And you could look at it and say, well, on the one hand, I do think they really, Universal really missed an opportunity to open in 2023 like they had originally planned. And I think that it they, they can waive pandemic and blah, blah, uncertainty as much as they want to, but ultimately... Um, there was nothing uncertain about it. They, if you believe at all that the theme park business will continue, then the best time to expand was when interest rates were nothing so that you could just take money. And you know what? It's not like they're going to, they're, they're taking money to do something that won't have a return investment. If you mm -hmm. take money to build infrastructure that will continue to pay off decades down the line, that is just silly. So I, I, I do kind of not really cut them slack for it, um, but but you know that's fine. <laughs> and again, I don't know whether I don't know whether they. Um, I think they were more worried about it not being able to open in 2023 because of closures, rather than like them well, the money there's part. One other, there's one other element here that you're not you're not mentioning, and that is the fact that um, supply chain issues were just screwed 
um, for the past year. And so, you know, when you're building a theme park of this magnitude, you've got supplies coming in from all over the world um, that are used to make this stuff. And when they're sitting in in crates in, you know, just outside of, of, of Los Angeles, you're not sure whether you're going to be able to open. So I'm yeah. not... I think they were looking at the at the situation holistically um, and financially. Uh, I don't think I don't think it was a horrible choice. But again, you know, anybody can say if I knew that the world was going to be this way, I would have done things differently. Well, we're not fortune tellers, um, yeah. so I don't I don't think they've really made a major faux pas here. I think it's exciting that they are back online, and I think it's exciting that they have brought back the creatives in the industry to to, yeah. to make it all happen. And it's exciting that they gave a firm date. Because yep. that that is surprising, and I I would say to your original point too about the the interaction between them and Disney, I kind of feel like the reason he even set a date was to just kind of like uh, give a swing at Disney because it's their fiftieth right now. I mean, why you know why announce so early like three years ahead? You know, and it was you know he knew people were gonna jump all over, it. and and this is kind of why I think they they wanted to say. Hey, remember us? We're still relevant. You know, everyone else is announcing stuff. We are too. And we're right. going to be here. And to kind of just reinforce against Disney where they're like, we're building a whole new theme park. And meanwhile, Disney is still considering whether or not to bring back parades. Uh, and then, and the, the other element too is um, that it's not that long, actually. This is a whole theme park and it's going to open in 2025, which is like three years away, which is mm -hmm. kind of bananas. I mean, that's a universal has, you know, always been so much faster than Disney at their world creation. And it, you know, like I said, it used to be that the quality would kind of be, you know, not as great, but obviously since Harry Potter and onward, I think everyone has kind of come to the realization that, that they can create things of, of equal quality. And now you're having them kind of say a whole theme park is coming in. And that's, it's just, it's kind of big and it's kind of mountain shifting. So that's, you know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see. Only time will tell. Well, meanwhile, of course, there's so many other announcements. Let's run through a few here. Iron Gwazi, the world's fastest and steepest hybrid coaster, will open for pass holders on select dates February 11th with the full opening on March 11th, 2022. SeaWorld San Diego announced their Emperor Dive Coaster opening on March 12th. <laughs> A new roller coaster, Pantheon, is opening March 25th at Busch Gardens. And the Peppa the Pig theme park is opening at Legoland, Florida in Win Winter Haven on February 24th. And the NFT Museum in Washington already opened <laughs> this week. Uh, so coasters, you know, Bush Gardens, of course, didn't want to be left out of all the uh, opening announcements as well. And so they're all, it, it's just, it's interesting to me that everything is shooting at this time. I kind of thought it would be later in the summer, but all these big, we mentioned that last time, but you know, all these big things coming up now. Um, and then, <laughs> of course, Universal is like, oh, by the way, three years from now, we'll be I'm like, OK, why did everyone choose March? Well, and it's interesting because, you know, there's always there's there's two different mindsets on on announcing early. Um, announcing early, the, it used to be that people felt that that would um, deplete attendance in their existing parks because people would wait. They'd wait and go, well, we won't really travel to Orlando to experience Universal until the new park opens and then we'll just do them all at once. But I think what's happened is, as we've seen, the desire to get back out, the desire yeah. to um, experience things in person is so strong right now that it's kind of shooting where the ducks are flying. It's it's striking yeah. while the iron's hot, so to speak. Um, I mean, I know that, you know, Iron Gwazi and uh, Emperor and Pantheon 
were all projects that were well underway, if not nearing completion prior to pandemic. And um, my guess is they've been just sort of <clears throat> holding on to that, holding on to that opening until they felt that it would make the most difference. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they don't yes. need to drive attendance yeah. right now. What they need to do is pull people off the sidewalks right now. And by doing, by opening these things, it will do just that. So it'll be, yeah. It, it, the, 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 it, we're reinventing. You know, you've heard me for the last two and a half years, you've heard me use the phrase wild, wild west. And we're still deciding, you know, what is the best approach? And I think what we're learning is there is no one marketing approach that works. It's what is going to work for us based on the current situation or the current perception of our parks. Yeah. And that what is working for them too, as well right now, clearly based on all of what we reported on and the earnings calls, all of these parks, everyone mentioned in this had fantastic holiday celebrations. And I think that this is one of those things where if we open it, open it early, that again, it gives people, like you said, a reason to come in now. And also hopefully uh, then it, that will lead into an even stronger holiday season because, you know, people can come now just for this and then they can come back and right. or come later for holiday plus this. Well, and I think, I think the whole Peppa Pig um, announcement is just so exciting. It's such a nice sort of I won't even call it a sidestep, but it's a it's a lateral expansion of the Legoland brand, and um, I'm 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 excited about this simply because I have some great friends who are working on it. But um, it is it is a um, it's a unique it, it it's something that we never would have done 15 years ago to say we're going to create a theme park that's calm, yeah, and soothing, yeah, and appropriate for children who are affected negatively by loud and splashy and you know it, it's uh and, and and i think the peppa, peppa pig brand is perfect for it so yeah. i'm very curious to see how that pans out yeah well turning to announcements that were made already but for items that are a little bit later in the year the studio ghibli theme park finally gave an opening date of november 1st and the new park will feature three areas of course the forest the large warehouse area and the youth hill and the remaining two areas, Mononoke's Village and Witch Valley, are set to open in 2023. Uh, I, everyone is bananas over this. I'm excited over this. I am like losing my mind over this because, of course, you know <laughs> that the Studio Ghibli is is like my you know my happy place um, basically. And 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 it was one of the, it, again the same thing that we talked same themes. You know they've been working on it on and off, and they've been kind of holding it. And then there were permit issues, and like, they couldn't get open with the government. And so I'm I'm so happy for them with with this opening date. Yes, I, uh, I, unfortunately, I am not as familiar with the brand as you are. And um, so I, I am familiar. I know what it is. I know it exists, but I'm not that, I'm not that uh, fanboy who's going, come on, open. Uh, but I'm glad, I'm, again, I'm glad to see, first of all, I'm glad to see anything is continuing to open. And I'm glad that they are actually now announcing dates. So Disneyland Paris also confirmed that its Avengers Campus expansion will launch in summer 2022, so just in a few months, at the Walt Disney Studios Park as part of the 30th anniversary there. And Blue Loop released a roundup of 17 new museums that are opening throughout 2022, <laughs> so, from kind of like now to the end. So uh, that's, that's uh, quite a bit. And aside from those openings, uh, there's also some expansion with Inter with entertainment industry companies, uh, City Neon penned an agreement for Animax, a new Animax R&D facility in China. So located in Nashville, Tennessee, Animax is the creative robotic entertainment company that has been supporting the group's intellectual properties 
uh, experiences in cities around the world. And phase one of their new facility is in development and it will be completed by the end of 2022. So this, what this kind of also underlines here is, is not just what we've been talking about, about the this year and people holding things and reopening and all that, but it also is reminding us again, like, hey, you know, if Animax, who's been in Tennessee this whole time, is putting a whole facility in China to create animatronics, that just underlines how strong the demand is for th their products there in that region. Because I can tell you, it makes a lot of sense. You know, they can create it there locally in China. They can get around the tariffs, which is, you know, what we would like to do, but can't, you know, at Gantam, but, you know, they can get around the tariffs and they can just do it locally. And there's a lot of appeal in the Chinese market for quality products that are made locally. And I think that, that that's a big, a big key is it, it coming locally from the region is, is a big pull for uh, the investors there. So. Well, and I think it also shows that this, uh, this growth that we're going through or regrowth or catching up, if you want to call it that, um, is not just happening in the United States. It is happening yeah. worldwide. And, um, and I think that by creating these kinds of alliances and, and new, new, new properties, um, I think it, it makes total sense. It's showing that, you know, the, the industry is very, very healthy, uh, despite the fact that so many people said the pandemic was going to close all theme parks. So, yeah. and I think the industry is so healthy, in fact, that, uh, we continue to see the kind of seasons of fun kind of announcements for mm -hmm. that awkward <laughs> post holiday season. Oh, you know, as we talked about last time, it's like everyone is usually scrambling, trying to figure out what do we do with the Q1 and early Q2 before summer gets here, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Universal Studios Beijing announced that they're going to host their first Chinese New Year celebration. It's the first ever Chinese New Year celebration from January 22nd to February 20th, which is actually very long for a Lunar New Year celebration. That's, you know, a whole month. Um, and it starts even early because it doesn't even start until February there. So it's just an interesting date range they chose there. Mm -hmm. The destination-wide celebration will feature spring festival-themed decorations and entertainment, including a new holiday-themed show, limited food and beverage offerings, and, of course, merchandise. And they're also going to be doing some activations at the resorts for Valentine's Day and Lantern Festival, which I thought was also interesting because Valentine's Day is not a, a Chinese thing. Uh, but, but, you know, seasons of fun, right? I mean, I'm just going to do it. Well, and, you know, it's what I found most interesting is the... The idea of doing seasonal entertainment has been something that, of course, has been very near and dear to my heart because it really has been my bread and butter as a consultant. Yeah. Um, what I'm finding interesting now is I am getting approached, and I can't mention any names or make any commitments here, but I am being approached by smaller and smaller organizations that are looking to do more and more seasonal activations that are just like this. It is It focuses around uh, a central show, some decor, some merchandise, some culinary, um, and, and and say, you know, here's what we're going to do at this time, and then we'll we'll replicate that at this time, and we'll replicate that at this time. So I'm really excited that um, we're we're seeing this not only on the the big players, you know, like like Universal Studios, but also um, what I'm seeing personally is on the smaller and smaller um, organizations and, and companies who have also, by the way, had phenomenal seasons. So yeah. they're now looking at it going, how can we keep this, how can we keep this momentum going? And the idea of uh, seasonal activations, they're, they're all of a sudden recognizing, oh, it's worked for theme parks for years. Why don't we do it? And, yeah. and I think that's very exciting. Yeah. 
now that you mentioned that, you know, I'm working on a story for Lunar New Year and kind of the different celebrations. That's I think that's why I'm I'm so attuned to the announcements that are coming out for it. And here locally, not only did we mention that Disneyland is doing the festival, which I've went to, and it's it's quite cute actually. It's very cute. They did they did I, I gave some, some I threw some shade at them last year uh, or, or last time we talked about it for just kind of copying uh, the same Mulan's processional. But I will kind of correct that in that they did throw Tigger in there. So Tigger's in there. And they did bring in local dance troops that were like non-cast members. They brought in local people to participate in the processional in their traditional uh, cultural outfits, which I gave them I give them also extra credit for. And, you know, the last thing, they did change the they did change the little cartoon. It used to just be, they would just use Mickey and it's like Mickey in his uh, Oriental outfit. But now it's, they have a little cartoon of the a tiger, like a, a traditional Oriental tiger um, that they use in, in the merch this year, which they did use the same one over in China for Shanghai's celebration and stuff. Eh, but you know, it was a little change, but also the Huntington up by me, the Huntington gardens, they're doing a lunar festival. And just to your point, you know, the Huntington is a small facility. They don't usually do a Christmas or Halloween event. It's really just the museum and the gardens, but they have this uh, Lunar New Year Festival. It's only two days, but the member reservations for it have already sold out. And now mm -hmm. they are selling members regular admission. So even though you could, you know, so membership is like $60 for a year, you know, and just attending the festival is $30 and they've already filled all their member spots. So now you're going to get members that are paying an extra like 50% on top of their membership just to come on the festival days. And they've done a great job partnering with local cultural institutions to bring in the programming, you know, and, and they're really just using their, uh, their Chinese pavilion, which is a gorgeous pavilion, but you know, they're just kind of providing the backdrop and they're letting other people come in and, and it it's, Seems very popular right now. Well, and they're doing they're doing what I always recommend to my clients, and that is to utilize your assets to yeah. help guide and develop what your what your seasonal offering is going to be. You know, if you have a gorgeous China pavilion, it's foolish to ignore the fact that you know Lunar New Year is very appealing to a uh, a very strong demographic. And uh, you know, it, it, should everybody across the United States do a a Lunar New Year festival? Probably not, but I think you need to investigate what your what your local demographic and what your public would embrace and enjoy. And my guess is you're going to find people who don't normally celebrate Lunar New Year who would be fascinated by it if you create something that is unique and fun. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if this is speaking of unique necessarily, but Epcot is, of course, bringing back their Flower and Garden Festival. And this year it's running from March 2nd to July 4th, which is 125 days. Holy so I mean, cow. I'm like, at this point, is it even a seasonal event or is it just like, like you know, might as well just make this a, a year round thing. 125 days. So I think what's happened here to be, to be completely honest, I think what they've done is they've discovered, you know what, once we install this stuff, people who are coming to Florida to experience Epcot will just eat it up and they can keep calling it a festival. It literally will eat it up. Little, yes, literally eat it, eat it up because it's, you know, it's very food based. But, um, but the idea is that they, they will, the, the, it'll be fine because they can do that 
it doesn't seem out of place. That's what I'm trying to say. When you when you focus on Topiary, which of course Walt Disney World was known for from its inception, um, when you focus on on Topiary and great horticulture, that's a no brainer, and it's something that they can really call it a seasonal festival, even though it's just once it's set up, it's business as usual to make sure everything is maintained <laughs> and trimmed. Um, yeah, yeah, because it'll go from flower and garden with all the food stalls into food and wine. Right. <laughs> and it's just like, just right. leave the food stalls there. <laughs> like, That's, uh, but again, not a bad idea. You know, not, not, not stupid from an operational standpoint. And especially for Epcot, because Epcot, you know, doesn't have or has fewer of the... Um, the local fan base that comes every week. You know, there's yeah. still some, but it has fewer. Yeah. And of course, not to be left out, our last kind of season's fun announcement is from Legoland New York, and they announced that they're going to reopen on April 8th, and they're, they're this year going to have a 4th of July celebration called Red, White, and Boom, <laughs> plus their first ever Christmas Bricktacular event. So they're they're jumping on the bandwagon. Yep. Yep. Well, and again, it makes it makes total sense. Legoland has has the, the seasonal... The seasonal event chops in their in their pipeline, so why not expand them to the other to the other locations? Go for it. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit now about museum news. Here's some news about uh, Denver. The Denver Children's Museum closed this week temporarily after anger at its mask policy. Uh, a Denver Children's Museum has temporarily closed after patrons directed anger at staff over its mask policy. The museum's president told the Washington Post that the museum couldn't disclose the details about the incidents that prompted the closure, but he called them demoralizing and said they have become intense and frequent. Hmm. Yikes. Well, <sighs> I know, right? I saw this. So it's the thing is, not many people covered the story um, in the industry. But to me, I was like, well, this is, we've been talking about this, you know, but it, it, it's, 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 I think it's pretty big in, 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 in the context of things. I think that what's happened is, you know, and you and I have talked about this too. We're in a very divisive environment right now. And, um, I think people are going to try to be as divisive as possible on both sides at this point, instead of trying to find a way we can mm -hmm. get through it. So I think this is, I think this is exactly what we're seeing. Um, we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of people blow up over it. I don't know whether you saw the, there was a blurb about, uh, about T-Mobile and, um, now, now threatening that they're going to get rid of their employees who are not vaccinated. Um, so, and there's there's big blow up. And I'm not saying either of these are right. And you know me, I'm I'm strongly you should be vaccinated. You should continue to wear masks um, if you can't socially distance. But at the same time, you kind of have to figure out what do we do to continue to keep things open. I I am saddened by this this Denver Children's Museum story. Quite honestly, um, I yeah. I'm saddened that 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 people are being so intense about the mask wearing, but I'm also saddened that the museum caved and, and didn't yeah. continue to say, this is, you know, I'm sorry, don't come. You know, I'm sorry, don't, yeah. if this, if this upsets you, don't come. Um, I, I think we have to continue to find ways to move forward, not to just placate, placate the, the people who shout the loudest. Yeah. And of course, I think, as we talked about kind of agnosium previously, this just underscores to the need to really have, like you said, a clear vision, understand what stance you're taking, communicate, and also train too. I mean, even though I'm sure, you know, a lot of museums have volunteer staff, and, and it's just, it's, it's a different 
composition of staff that work at museums in general. They're much more purpose driven. Right. And that's what I think to me makes this even worse is because if the staff is, is really being demoralized and attacked by the patrons, that is, is that's tough. But, but, you know, just because they're museum team members doesn't mean that you, you, you shouldn't be training them for, for, for these types of situations. I think. And you should also be training your audience. You should also yeah. be getting the word out before they even show up. Um, you know, it's again, having just flown today, they actually make the statement. You agreed several times. They said this on the plane. You've agreed several times to wear a mask covering your nose and mouth. When you purchased the ticket, when you, uh, applied, yeah. when you picked up your boarding pass, you know, they basically keep reminding you, you've already agreed to this. This isn't anything new that we're, we're going, surprise, you have to wear a mask now. No, yeah. these are things that you have signed or checked off or acknowledged multiple yeah. times in the process yeah. of, of getting a ticket. So yeah. you cannot get too far out in front of it because people are still shocked that they have to wear a mask. Yeah. Uh, well, our last story here. So while, while this is happening in Denver, uh, of course, there are new lockdown protocols, of course, happening in other places in, uh, in the world. And there is one museum that uh, has pivoted to open as a salon to be able to continue to open. Uh, the Van Gogh Museum opens as salon in protest over COVID lockdown rules. The Dutch cultural sector has been conducting some unique acts of civil disobedience this week in protest against the country's COVID-19 lockdown measures. This saw customers getting their nails done at the Amsterdam's Van Gogh Museum, getting a haircut accompanied by the city's orchestra, or taking part in gym classes at the Frank at the Franz Hals Museum in Harlem. This follows the reopening of businesses such as salons and gyms and the, east, and the easement of restrictions, while the cultural center, including museums, cinemas, bars, and restaurants, remain subject to the Netherlands' strict lockdown, which has been ongoing since mid-December. In protest, several Dutch bars and restaurants opened their doors last week, and this week's venues, such as museums and theaters, added their voice to the dissent, temporarily transforming themselves into hairdressers and nail salons to make their point. Good for them! I hope it works. I hope it works. I hope it makes. I hope it makes the government go back and reassess what should we do, what should we not do. Um, and again, these kinds of things are. This is going to be an ongoing discussion. Uh, my favorite phrase that I heard today was on this ever evolving pandemic. I think that is so incredibly accurate because we keep getting new variants, we keep having new issues, we keep having new um, uh, openings, closings, rules, regulations. And I think we need, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think we need to continue to embrace that and and hope that we can continue to find a way to keep us safe while keeping things open. That's what it really boils down to. So if it takes, if it takes, uh, you know, having a nail salon open up at the, uh, at the, the Van Gogh Museum, great, go for it. Go for it because it's not <laughs> violent. It's it's simply it's following the rules as they're put out there, and hopefully it starts some discussion uh, about yep. um, the situation. And actually, that's kind yes. of what we hope we do too, is to start discussions about situations. And I got to tell you, this particular episode has just flown by for me because we are out of time, <laughs> and uh, so hopefully we've sparked some uh, sparked some discussions with you and your coworkers. And until next week, on behalf of Philip Hernandez with Gantam Lighting and the Haunted Attraction Network, and myself, Scott Swen with Scott Swenson Creative Development. This is Green Tag, Theme Park in 30, and we will see you next week. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production. <laughs>